Bring it in. We're back. Kicking off the week here. Hoping everyone's having a wonderful Tuesday. Whatever day you're listening to this. To be honest, a lot of our listeners listen to it whenever, which I kind of love. Because uh, every time I go on to check like numbers and stuff, I'm like, oh, I wonder who's in. You always get surprised. Uh, interesting weekend in college football. Interesting weekend in NFL football. The games in both were not great. But there's a lot to talk about. Uh, the college football playoff rankings this week, I think, are going to be very interesting to see what will end up happening after some teams, a couple teams lost, a couple teams won some big games. So we'll see. And uh, Scotty Miller's here to break it all down with me. What's up, Scotty? Hey, man. How's it going? Going good, dude. Going are good. You, are you ready for some football? Monday night Monday. football where we're going to get destroyed? Your boys, yeah. Yeah. Your boys are, are probably, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, since we last talked, the Robert Woods news came out towards ACL in practice on Friday, which was a, a bummer. Uh, for Conspiracy for theory. You do know that OBJ was signed before he tore his ACL, right? Convenient. Convenient that. I'm just kidding. I don't know. It sucks that, that Robert Woods is out. Uh, I've had that injury twice. It's not fun. It's a, ton, uh, it's so. a Tanya Harding situation. OBJ yeah, hired definitely. somebody to hide in underneath the turf to snatch yeah. uh, Robert Woods' ACL. Yeah. Uh, no, that was that no, was actually absolutely. really – that was a bummer because I think I love Robert Woods. He just seems like a good dude. He's always been productive, yeah. just really enjoyable player to watch. Um, and he had a post today on, on Twitter and on his social medias uh, thanking everybody for the support. And he said it was the first time in his football life, like since he was a kid, that he's not finishing a season, hmm. which is pretty like, remarkable. Yeah, mm. right. It's pretty remarkable. So we wish a, a speedy recovery to uh, to Robert Woods. But uh, no, nah, man, how was your weekend? Other than, you know, I know the Penn State game didn't go the way you want. We'll get into that game and the college football stuff. But yeah. uh, anything else fun? You, you grill up anything? No, I didn't, actually. I was going to in the morning and uh, I looked at the weather forecast. I was kind of going back and forth on what to grill uh, and looked at the weather forecast and it was going to be raining like the hour right before kickoff, uh, before I started grilling. So I said, screw it. And I ordered food instead, yeah, <laughs> but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do some tailgating again. The rest of the season, we've got two more games left. Yeah. I'll be at a wedding for one. And then, uh, and then my mom will be here for the other. I haven't watched a Penn state game with her in a long time. So I'll be, I'll be tailgating up a, uh, a Jeff Martz recipe. Uh, there we go on that, on that, uh, that Michigan state game, uh, last game of the year. So I'll be sitting outside smoking, uh, smoking up some pork while I'm freezing my butt off, but yeah, <laughs> it was good. Good man, good. Yeah. You, uh, you know, That's... honestly, like tailgating in the winter time or in the fall as it gets progressively colding, it's I enjoy it. I don't know. Well, that's when just that's just when you tailgate with more. liquor and not beer. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just go a little heavier. Maybe you get like some mold wine going or like yeah. some uh, some spiked cider, something a little hot. Uh, it's funny you mentioned about the rain because so I was texting you because I was deciding on what my weekend plans were going to be. And I ended up deciding to drive down to my alma mater. I went back to Harrisonburg, Virginia and saw Jamie camp at uh, Jamie's campus and it's changed so much since I went there. And, and, you know, I can get into that in a second, but when I was driving, when I got in the car, I'm like leaving and I see it's like, it's like raining. It's like kind of lightly raining. It's cold. I'm like, is it going to be like this? Like, in Harrisonburg and I looked it up and there was like this perfect little circle where it was like, it was just passing through Harrisonburg was far enough South and far enough West that it was, I was going to be out of the way from it. And so I get in the car knowing I'm going to be clear 
and I live like five, 10 minutes away from route 66, which is where I go to, to get out West out towards where you live. So I, you know, I drive up to the little roundabout and right as I turn onto 66, I can literally see about like 30 miles down the road as to where it's a sharp cutoff from gray skies to like gorgeous blue skies, what I call a uh, toy story skies. Right. You know, oh, the yeah. opening scene in clouds Twister. in there. Yeah, yeah. You get like the perfect clouds and like the perfect blue behind it. And uh, and then it was funny because like, yeah, as I'm driving on 66, it just all of a sudden it just like like night and day just cut off and then ended up being a beautiful fall day. And I drove right by where you and your lovely bride live. And I drove drove down to Harrisonburg. A friend of mine, my friend Sally, she's this incredible, like super smart, brilliant uh, and, and talented. I, I honestly it's I can't even describe exactly what she does because it's not like a it's it's a type of engineer of sorts but she works for what's called the ibm garage and basically her whole job is about like problem solving and she was industrial design major and she's just like this incredibly successful and awesome person she got a job at visa right out of college she's awesome uh and she is already at at 25 had been invited back to be like one of the headline speakers at a conference here at jmu and they put her up in the nice madison hotel which is a new hotel that was finalized right when i got there and so I drove down on Saturday and I met up with an old friend who still lives in the area and had a couple beers, watched a college football game. And uh, another one of my friends from college, he drove up, he lives in Charlottesville. So he drove up and then the three of us all hung out. We walked around campus and did the whole nine, but it's two weeks in a row. Cause two weeks ago I was at the Penn state Maryland game. And then this past week, and then I was on like a college campus and I've just never felt more like old in my life. And I think it only gets worse and worse as you get older, right? Like each year that yes. gets by, like, like obviously like you, you get more and more attached, you know, detached from it. And I just found it was very funny. I'm like walking around. There's like college kids who are like yelling stuff out of their cars when you're walking by, like calling you old. And I'm like, gee, I'm like, I'm 25. I'm not that old, right? Like I'm not, I'm not some like ancient guy, you know, I don't have any gray hairs. I got a couple in the beard, but other than that, like it's, you know, but you know, sometimes you're out of touch, you're out of there, but it was cool, man. It's cool to always kind of go back and just drive around the town. And <clears throat> it's very, uh, it brings up a lot of cool memories and Harrisonburg's a beautiful, beautiful mountain town. Uh, the campus is still yeah, as beautiful this as ever. time of year. Oh yeah. my God. Well, that was a thing, man. Like you get so used to it and you lived out in that kind of area, you know, throughout the majority of the pandemic, uh, with your in-laws and, there's, there's a very distinct point when you're on 66 or driving out and all of a sudden it goes from being like, you know, kind of DC suburbs to like, boom, here are mountains in the Blue Ridge Mountains startup. And it's just, it's like shocking. And you forget, cause like when I was in, in college and living in Harrisonburg, you just get so used to it. You know, even by the time I was leaving, like driving home yesterday morning, I was like, it did, doesn't have the same effect, but when you haven't been out there in a while and you haven't seen it all during the day, and, and especially like you said, in the fall when all the leaves are orange and it's just such a beautiful, beautiful spot and, and place in our country. And um, it's one of those things I always try to take advantage of when I bring it down. So it was very cool. And the other thing too, is the campus was just buzzing with all the sunbelt stuff. Nice. Like, like absolutely buzzing. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, unfortunately, in that same vein, JMU's men's soccer team, which was ranked as high as like 11th in the nation at one point this year, they lost in the conference tournament and they didn't get an at-large bid. So, or sorry, they lost, uh, they couldn't participate in the conference tournament and they didn't get an at-large bid. So first hmm. example, Imagine if they were in the Sun Belt, <laughs> Yeah. Right. And it's also, it's the first example of a team that like 
very clearly should and was the best team in the CAA, not allowed to compete in the conference tournament. They had beaten UVA early this year. Like they were a really, really good team, but they unfortunately were, were left out of the at-large bids, which means no postseason play. So it's the first of many times this year I'm going to get pissed off at the CAA because that's uh, they don't know the they don't know who they pissed off in the JMU fan base because it's a bunch of lunatics. Um, and I try to be one of the sane ones there, but hey, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, football related. Let's get into the NFL stuff. It was a very weird weekend. It was a weekend. We know of- nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we know nothing. Uh, there's some things I'll say, like we were about 500 on our picks this week. We both went six and seven and we still have uh, Monday night football tonight. We both picked the Rams. So we could both end up being about 500, but there were some that were like obvious. And then there were others where I, I just like, you, you say they're kind of like floored, right? So you have teams like, you know, the bills are the big bounce back, but then you look at, you know, the Colts and the Colts had looked really good a few weeks in a row. And then they almost ended up blowing that game against Jacksonville. And, and there was just a lot of games, the Detroit and Pittsburgh game, which I the said Ravens. to you on the pod. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens, the Thursday night game is a great example. I mean, the Ravens losing in Miami on Thursday night was as shocking of a game as, as I can remember. I think we, we both were all in on the Ravens that night when we were recording and then, you know, we're done recording. Wow, we look wrong. up, we turn the game and <laughs> Holy hell. Like, and Tua comes in there, and Tua looked awesome. Like Tua comes in after Jacoby Brissett gets hurt, and that offense looked completely different. Um, and, and then it, Dallas with a big bounce back week. So there's a lot to get to here, but the the crux of it, and, and at its core, this season is just weird. And it's it's wild how the NFL and college are are mirroring each other. Right? Anything like, can happen. Yep. Like there's one or two teams at the top in the NFL who you feel really good about, and then after that, it's like I don't feel good about anybody. But even then, like like take the Titans, for example, right? Do you feel good about the Titans in a playoff game? You put them against Patrick Mahomes in the in the second round. I mean, you feel they, good about the Titans? I don't. I, I don't yet Patrick because, Mahomes right there. I, I don't yet because we just haven't seen the Titans really do like put it all together for a playoff run. We've seen them make the playoffs the last, you know, two or three years. Uh, but especially without Derek, if Derek Henry was there, I'd feel really good about the Titans. Oh yeah, um, but he's not. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, and Scott Van Pelt has been saying this for the last couple of weeks, like they keep winning, and and their last five games, Scott, have been against five teams that were in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and they've gone six five and, six and zero, right? Or five and zero? Yeah, five, or maybe this weekend was the sixth in a row. But they've they've gone through the gauntlet, right? They've gone through the heavy stuff. They've gone through the hard stuff. And to this point in the season, they've had the hardest strength of schedule in all of the NFL. And now you look at the rest of their schedule from here on out, and they have the easiest ranked schedule from here on out. So I think you have to feel good about the Titans moving forward. But when it gets to playoff time, when it gets to, like you said, like Kansas City looked really good on Sunday night, so maybe they have a bit of a turnaround. You can never discount the Ravens because of Lamar Jackson. You know, the AFC North, I don't even know what to think of. You know, I think we again, we both felt good about New England in that game, knowing that Nick Chubb was more than likely not going to be playing, knowing that Kareem Hunt's still out. But oh, and on top of that, too, Baker Mayfield got even more hurt in that game. That dude's just taking an absolute beating, which is strange mm-hmm. considering that they do have one of the best offensive lines in football, albeit a lot of them have been injured and haven't been consistently in. So the AFC is just as convoluted and confusing and you know, but then in the NFC side of it too, we, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, Kyler and D hop are both out again. 
And it turns out once teams, put, you know, there's a little bit of tape out there and, and Colt McCoy, it, they got absolutely smacked hmm. by yeah, Carolina. Right yep. Dallas loses that game to Denver, and then they come out and absolutely embarrass the Atlanta Falcons. And we'll see what the Rams do tonight because the Rams have an opportunity now to, to jump up there again. You know, they'd be tied with Arizona, but Arizona has the win over them. So Arizona would still be in first place in the NFC West. But the Panthers right now are in the playoffs. The Saints are somehow still in the playoffs. And Tampa Bay, they went loss by loss. They've lost their last two. And Tom Brady, and they lost to a really mediocre at best Washington football team. So football just feels as confusing, as muddied, as weird. And it's going to be fun to dive into it. So we talked a little about Baltimore, Miami. That game to me was a, a weird Thursday night game. And I said on the pod, which is, which is funny. Like my, my point on the podcast was we've had so many weird primetime games and that I thought Thursday night, like, all right, we're due for just like a, a blowout here. And it turns out we got that on Sunday night instead of the Thursday night game. But this was a all out like Baltimore Ravens didn't look good the entire game. They had a really interesting defensive game plan to stop Lamar which the only other team I can remember doing something similar was the Chargers who did it a couple – I think it was Lamar's MVP season where they just basically drop five guys right in the middle of the field and keep everything in front of them and eliminate the running game altogether. That's been a trend all year, though, and that it's it's been not to stop the run, but it's been to to quell the pass, right? So, what, And this is part of what we've seen with Mahomes – uh, what teams are doing against Mahomes is just dropping five or, or six, even in some cases, not rushing anyone and just letting him try to make a decision. And but and it's force but a pass. The defenses are different, right? Like the defense against Mahomes is like they're dropping too deep, they're dropping three deep, they're like, or, or they're playing, you know, very little man to man. What the Dolphins did to Lamar was they kept everybody at basically at the sticks. So like they kept a line of five guys, they just built a wall 10 yards down the field and just kept everything in front of them and then trusted their, their cornerbacks to play one-on-one with Hollywood and with Sammy Watkins and with those guys on the outside. And then because they like to use Mark Andrews over the middle of the field, they would have guys there. Teams have done that against him before, but it's something that they mix in. The Dolphins just did that all night. Like the Dolphins didn't, did not stop playing that kind of defense the entire game. And it showed because Lamar had no freedom to really go do Lamar things. It was one of, ironically, his worst games as a pro. And the defense on the other side, you know, the Ravens' defense feels so yin and yang to me because there are, there are days where their pass rush looks awesome, where Jason Owe, the rookie's getting after guys. You know, you still have Calais Campbell there up in the, in the middle who, who's at his age is still can, can change games, particularly in the running game. But then there are moments where it's like you're, you're getting the ball run down your throats by the Miami Dolphins. You know, and Tua, like the, the, the game that the, essentially the part that iced the game, because this was a one possession game with like a minute left. And what I noticed with, um, sorry, I just got a text there. So I totally just blanked my thought, but here you go. We're, you know, podcasting is not always pretty, but that play, this was a one possession game. And there was the little swing route that they threw to the running back who was like their backup running. I don't even remember the guy's name. It wasn't Ahmed, but it was another guy. And they ran a little swing route to the outside and it was just a complete busted coverage. But up until that point, 
the Ravens had three timeouts. They got a huge like stop. It was like second and 10 and they burnt their first timeout. And it looked like, all right, like Baltimore's going to get a stop here and Lamar's going to get the ball back at the end of the game. And it was going to be another come from behind win here for Lamar and the Ravens. And that one busted coverage completely ended the game and the, the Dolphins were able to punch it in at the end there. Uh, look, the Dolphins are still not a great team. We've seen a lot of bad teams in the NFL this year win games that they're not supposed to, right? We just saw Jacksonville do it last week against Buffalo. We've seen the Jets do it against Tennessee. And I think we saw the same thing. Like, I don't think the Dolphins are now all of a sudden going to go on some sort of run or they're going to end, end the season at seven no. and eight or anything, right? They're still three and seven and they still have, you know, tougher games left on their schedule. But I give them credit because it was a Thursday night game and they came up with a scheme that's going to be really hard for the Ravens to, to defend. And I'm curious now moving forward, is this going to be the trend? Is this what teams are going to do when they play Lamar? Are they going to do this thing and they're going to commit to it? And I also, if they do, I trust Greg Roman and Lamar and, and that offense to figure out ways to beat it because Lamar's too talented to ever just be able to hold him in a box for an entire game. They're going to be able to figure out ways, and he's proven that he's a good enough passer to do so uh, as well. So that was Thursday night. The Sunday games. Uh, we'll just hit some of these because, again, like the closest game was that Tennessee and New Orleans game. So we can start with that one. We'll get to the tie. Uh I'm sure a lot of the listeners of the pod know that ties are subject of much conversation. You know, we'll just do that one first and, and get it out of the way. Cause that was an ugly, ugly football game. It was but disgusting. <laughs> fans of this podcast know that our boy Vito has a tradition with his friends that every time there's a tie, they all decide we're taking off of work tomorrow on Monday. We're getting blackout drunk and we're, <laughs> we're sitting on Xbox and, and hanging out. And it's like a whole thing. And so we, you know, we're always texting. And remember, there's only been one week this year in the NFL where there hasn't been an, a, 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 an overtime game. And it felt like there were so many games that we were so close. We were so close and we would always text. And it, it's almost like a no hitter in baseball. Like, I felt like, oh, man, we shouldn't talk about it. Like, because I feel like we're going <laughs> to I feel like we were going to jinx it. Right. And instead, we were kind yeah. of texting back and forth. Vito was very quiet. And then sure as hell, the tie hits. Our like group chat goes off. Our fantasy football group chat goes off and he pulls out a bottle of champagne, pops the champagne. And uh, I'm assuming he had a wild night. We did not hear from him the rest of the night. We asked, we asked him to, we asked for texts. We said, yeah, we checked in a few times. Literally, we, we did not hear from him until about an hour before recording this. It was like four 45. I texted Vito. I'm like, yo, like, dude, are you alive? Like he like, blacked out or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I'm good. I can't do the pod. I'm driving to Cleveland. So he's driving out to Cleveland. So, but we will get, hopefully he'll be back with us on Friday's pod and we'll be able to talk to him about it then. Um, but you know, I, I, I'll be honest. If big Ben's in this game, I don't think it's a tie. I don't think it's close. I don't, even with the sloppy weather and everything, No, I think big Ben would be able to do enough in order to, you know, kind of separate it. But that still like Mason Rudolph threw the ball 50 times. And we just saw the Eagles run it down the throats of Detroit just two weeks ago. And I was shocked at the, the play selection here as to why. And Matt Canada is one of those offensive coordinators where he supplements the running game with short passes. But why you didn't just let Najee Harris get under center and just pound the rock for four yards at a time? Because it felt like every time they did that, it was there. They were just reluctant to do it. Well, and there's that uh, in terms of just scheming, but like, 
the ball security thing, which turned out to be a problem late in the mm-hmm. game for the Steelers uh, and in overtime. Um, so I, I just I don't understand why if you're if that's your best player on the field, uh, probably even when Ben Roethlisberger is on the field. Uh, so I don't understand why you don't just put the ball in his hands and, and let him go. Uh, and I know he's a rookie, and I know that that they're prone to mistakes. But you're playing a team who's who's zero and seven. Yeah, they fight, uh, but but to take the ball out of Najee's hands at that point, I I didn't understand why they would do that. I mean, it's not necessarily like they took the ball out of his hands entirely. You know, he he had four catches and he had twenty six carries, so he touched the ball thirty times. To me, it's the way that they get him the ball that was more concerning. You know, like you like 26 carries for 105 yards is a good day. So clearly you're able to run the ball with them. And when they got him the ball, it was four catches for 28 yards. So every time they get him the ball, he was doing good things with it. I do think yeah. a, a ton of credit needs to be given for Detroit for, you know, the way that they were able to stop, you know, run the ball themselves. But also like defensively, they played really well and, and they hang in there. But it's Mason Rudolph. You know, like it, this was this was the game that Detroit, I felt like so far this season has been the most winnable with the exception of the 66 yard field goal from Justin Tucker. Right. Because that was just insane. They did everything right. And then Justin Tucker just hits only the greatest one of the greatest kicks in NFL history. Yeah. You know, bombing but, it from the other side of the field. But for, and with Najee again, like he's he's averaging six targets per game. Right. And so you saw Detroit have some success targeting DeAndre Swift out of the backfield on those short, like um, HP, like angle routes or, or whatever they, they run. They weren't even like flat passes. It were designed like get to the middle of the field and we'll, and we'll throw you on a slant. Um, so I don't know why you, why you don't do that with Najee Harris, who only had, he had four catches. But uh, I feel like at that, at that time, if you want to start mixing run and pass, you got to, especially with Mason Rudolph under center, you got to, figure out a way to get the ball in Najee's hands a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, th- but he still, he still had 30 touches, you know, and, but then you look like DeAndre, oh, like DeAndre Swift had 33 carries for 130 yards, you know, and like that, that was almost like you kind of wish that they had done a little bit more of that with Najee, but at the same time, it's not like they weren't being productive when he was running the football. I, I just felt like, Overall, and I, I do think the elements played a part in this game. It was really nasty. Mm-hmm. The field conditions were really bad. It was clear that both teams were struggling with, you know, obviously the two big fumbles, the Deontay Johnson fumble, and then uh, right after that huge catch, and then the Pat Frymuth fumble at the end, because it really looked like, oh, my God, Pittsburgh's going to come in here and kick a field goal at the end of overtime, and Frymuth fumbled it, and that was that was going to be the game. Um, and D- Detroit had an opportunity there. I don't – I it looked like – Santos, whatever the guy's name, Sansis, whoever, whoever the kicker is for Detroit, uh, guy, yeah. guy I'd never seen before. Um, he kicked that ball in overtime. Santosa, like, yeah, Santosa, that's what it is. Uh, it was like a sick. It was like a fifty-six yard field goal, fifty-four yard field goal, something like that. It came out so low and had such little like oomph behind it. I didn't know if yeah. he just shanked it or if it got tipped. They never no. did a follow up on it, at least not on red it zone. Didn't, it didn't get tipped. It looked like Jeff. You know what it looked like is when you hit. Uh, just, just completely fat your nine iron, like get <laughs> so much chunk, and it's a nine iron that goes seventy yards because yeah. you just got so much chunk underneath it. You just fatted it, like it didn't. It was not good contact at all. Nothing. No. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even still, in the conditions and the weather and everything, like if that game's in Detroit and it's the same 
outcome, same situation, he probably has a significantly better chance of making it. I'm not saying he yeah. would have, but he at least would have a better chance to. Uh, but at the end of the day, still, that game was just ugly. It was just ugly dog shit football, as I, as I said last week. Um, <laughs> so, ironically, that was the closest game because it was a tie. But after that, the next best game there was the Saints and the Titans. Um, I give the Saints defense a ton of credit. You know, again, I've said this multiple times this year. I did not, I was not a believer in the Saints defense. Marcus Davenport, Vito said this a couple weeks ago, and I didn't really notice it until yesterday watching them play. But the amount of weight that he's put on, he went from being like slimmed down, like ripped up speed rush edge guy so basically like Clayus Campbell, right? He's not as big as Clayus Campbell, but they are both, you know, because Clayus Campbell's like 6'8". Marcus Davenport's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, so he's in that same higher height area uh, in terms of like what you think of as defensive ends, which typically that's a little too tall to be a defensive end. But they seem to kind of move him around a little bit. He plays, still plays outside. He plays a little three technique. But he is bulked up. Like all of the like six-pack stuff that he had coming out of UTSA is gone. He is just like a unit and he's very disruptive in his, in his role there. He's done a really good job of developing. I mean, he's a guy that I think for the last couple of years, we're kind of like, when's this guy that you drafted 13th overall going to kind of pop pop. Mm -hmm. He definitely has popped. He uh, has been huge for them and still on the outside, their secondary plays really well. I give a lot of credit to Tennessee, man. I know we touched on it there kind of in the beginning, but this is a team you lose the 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 entire basically identity of your team with Derrick Henry, the guy who you felt like you could beat anybody because you had this guy on your team, and you lose him for the for the season at least, or at least open ended. There's a chance he might come back for the playoffs, but they've kind of just picked up and kept going. And the one thing that I think this proves more than anything else, and I've always been a Ryan Tannehill guy. I've always liked him. I've always thought he was a better quarterback than people gave him credit for is that Tannehill is still doing the same stuff that they would do with Derrick Henry, but without him. The action based off of play design and the way how good he is at play action, the way that they're getting defenses to bite on play action plays and designs is as good as it was with Derrick Henry. And I think because they're still committed to running the ball the same way with or without, uh, you know, Derrick Henry. It's, it's Foreman. It's Adrian Peterson. It's this new, it's these other guys just kind of coming in. Nichols is the other one. He's the kind of their their little scat back that they use, but he can also run between the tackles a little bit. And And they're just himself too. And that's the thing too. Tannehill is such a good athlete. People forget he got recruited originally as a, as a wide receiver when he went to, was it Texas A&M? A&M. Yeah. Yeah. So he is like a, a really, really high level athlete. And then they, you know, he was a high school quarterback, but they were like, why don't you come play wide receiver? And then he goes there and they're like, actually, you could probably play quarterback here. And so he ends up being, but that's the level of athlete that Ryan Tannehill is. And he's, he won the majority of that game for the defense played a huge part of it. And for a Titans defense that through the first four weeks, especially after that Jets loss, we're like, man, this defense stinks. You know, Uh, they're really good. And even without some of their, starting cornerbacks even without you know losing Jadavian Clowney who was there with them last year this defense is legit Mike Vrabel is doing some really creative things defensively but Jeffrey Simmons and the step that he's taken as a as a true like game wrecker type of defensive tackle defenses alone can be shifted by having a guy like that when Kansas City went on their run a huge part of the uh, is like obviously Tyron Matthew gets most of the shine because he's Tyron Matthew and he's an unbelievable player 
But Chris Jones is arguably more important to that defense than Tyron Matthews. And you look at the, the Titans right now, they kind of have a similar dynamic. You have Jeffrey Simmons up front. You have Kevin Byard in the back. Kevin Byard. Yep. And you have two guys that are kind of taking over both halves of your, of your defense. And you're getting good linebacker play, which is really important as well. The Titans are a really good team. And they have a relatively easy schedule down the line. Julio Jones is still in and out of the lineup. I believe he's actually on IR right now. now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just do that three weeks ago. He'd be back already. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But hopefully that means that when they're gearing up for a playoff run, then all right, you're going to get Julio Jones back and ready for that. And AJ Brown is AJ Brown is AJ Brown is doing what he does every year, which is taking that next step in October through the end of the year. And it was like last week, two weeks ago, we're like, man, AJ Brown's really starting to come along. He's continuing to be that guy. And the way that they can use their tight ends in, uh, in play action in the passing game has really made a difference for this Titans offense, despite losing Derrick Henry. The Saints, on the other hand, this no, you know, Jameis Winston thing, it, it's going to be a problem for them. It, it, it just is. I like Trevor Simeon. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's got a weird looking mullet. Uh, I heard the part of my take guys today compare him to he looks like a long lost Manning. Like he really does look like he could be a <laughs> like he could be Cooper Cups, like you know. Like if you just look at his face, like his thing, it's it's awesome. Like I can't even take credit for because that was them that came up with it, but he really does. And they still are not committed to using Taysom. Like they're committed to to Trevor Simeon being that guy. And I'll say this: they have a chance next week. They're playing Philly. Philly's coming along. Philly looks like they've found something in their in their offense, running the ball as much as they are. If you can't put up points consistently with Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon against the Eagles defense, you got some problems. Like I was shocked that the, the Broncos didn't score more against the Eagles this week, and we'll get to that game in a little bit. But the Saints, I think, are in some trouble here, and next week is a big spot. And what's wild is if they had actually pulled off this comeback and won this game, they would be in control They'd be in first place in the NFC. First South place. Yep. Because they beat Tampa Bay the lot that's two wild. weeks ago. So that's the error. You know, that's how close like the margin of error can be sometimes in these NFL games. Uh, other than that, when we're talking about the one o'clock games, the other one that was, I guess we should talk about was Tampa Bay and Washington. So that's a good transition. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody this now. I'm, this is like a declaration moment. Okay. I've seen so many people being like red flags in Tampa Bay. What's wrong oh, with this team? On. This team is, this team isn't as good. They're, they're down this guy. They're down that guy. Everybody stop. This was a team that won the Super Bowl going 11 and five in the regular season last year. I said before this season, Tampa Bay is going to lose five or six games. Did I not say that Scotty? You did. Yeah. I want I know for, a, I, I declared it. And Check Vito and you and everyone else is like, no, man, they're gonna win 14 games, win 13 games. I have our picks still from the beginning. Yeah, but it's 12. Yeah. I had them, I think, going 12 and five as well. I was like, I this team's going to lose games. But when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be the team. Not only gonna be the team that nobody wants to play, they're probably gonna be one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl in my eyes, still. Because they have to be. They got Tom Brady. <laughs> remember <laughs> last on. year. The Bucks lost on a Monday night football game to the Giants, and everybody said the exact same stuff that they're saying mm-hmm. right now. Is it a good sign? No. But there's two things here. A, Tom Brady, like, the, with the exception of, and this is why I think Belichick doesn't get enough credit, 
when they would have those stretches in November when they were so good, a lot of that was due to, to Belichick because Tom Brady statistically has had a lot of his worst stretches of, of his career in the month of November. But Belichick was had so much of the team around him ready to go, like ready and playing at such a high level that it didn't it didn't matter. Right. It's like Tom Brady might have a bad game, but the defense was so good that it's there. The other aspect of this, too. So it's like I'm not shocked that Tom Brady's struggling at some point throughout the season. The other aspect of this, too, is Bruce Arians as as a head coach also had these dips. Right. There were moments when he was the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh that the offense stalled. Same thing when he was in Indianapolis and when he was the head coach in Arizona. All like these are all, yeah. and for Arians, who's such a laissez-faire, hands-off, players coach kind of guy, you know, he said in the press conference yesterday, he's like, we're a dumb football team right now. Eerily similar to the things he was saying last season. And guess what? It didn't matter because when push comes to shove, Brady gets those guys ready. Arians is still a really, really good head coach and they're going to tighten it up and they're still going to be one of the best teams in the NFC down the stretch. hundred percent. And I think there's, there's some credit to be given here to Washington, that offense, the way they, they ruled that fourth quarter was absolutely just masterful. The way yeah, that river went wrong going for it on fourth downs. Yeah. And, you know, football fans don't want to see that. They turn their TV on. They, they're like, Oh, great. I want Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. In a, in a game where he's down, I want to see him come back. But good for the the Washington offense and credit to them for for containing the ball and and pushing that drive. And even then, that what a smart call by the way by by Ron Rivera to, to take a knee on the on the uh, two point conversion. Yeah, was, which just is in like, case. Yeah, just in case it gets run back for a touchdown and it's a, or a, a two point for Tampa and it's a one score game. But, uh, you know, because I'm still scared of Tom Brady. <laughs> no but I matter, wonder too no matter how deep in the game it is and so how, if, how much you're up. <laughs> so this is why we need Vito because Vito is great with obscure rules and shit with this. But maybe, you know, because I, I I always get this rule confused. If they had tried for the an extra point, like the one point and it gets oh. blocked and it gets blocked and returned. Is that one point or two? For the defense, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a that's a veto question. Because that's what I was thinking. I was because like, like, it'd if, be two. It wouldn't be one if they ran it all the way back. But, but the offense is going for one, right? So is it like these are the points that are at stake <laughs> when it goes up, or is it just like the defense is always going to be able to score two if they block and return an extra point? Um, and that's a rule that like gets changed, but nobody knows about it because it never happens. So it's like, why can't we just have the same rule? But I don't know. Either way, you're right. It was a very clever, like, rules kind of thing. And uh, just to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to take a knee here, and we're going to just let the clock run out. And and that way it's 10 points and and completely eliminate a chance of anything insane happening. Uh, because you never know. You do. You never know in the NFL. Uh, we had, other than those games, it was blowout central. So Dallas has a monstrous bounce-back game. Uh, Dan Quinn revenge game. Dan Dan Quinn revenge game. That was like the headline out of everything. Like, sh- hey, shout out to Dan Quinn, whatever. Uh, I was wrong. You picked Dallas here. I don't know why I picked Atlanta. Because, like, the more I thought about it over the weekend, I was like, why did I do that? Well, I was like, and, of course, and I did the of same course thing Dallas too. was going to come in and do this, you know? I, I hedged it in fantasy. I picked up Matt Ryan because I had Kyler, uh, who was out this week. And I was like, Matt Ryan. That that's a good matchup, and then he throws up a stinker, like the worst yeah. game. I think I got two and a half points. Trayvon Diggs has another interception, so he's up to eight right now. 
He's on pace to break the record from Dick Night Train Lane, as Vito taught us on the pod. Yeah, man. Probably about a month ago. <laughs> so it seems as though like that is becoming an increasing possibility. Micah Parsons continuing to impress all over the field. But this is what scares you about the Cowboys offense, right? Because Zeke wasn't super dynamic or anything in this game. This game was all about Dak. This game was all about Dak Prescott and C.D. And Lamb. Lamb. And Coop and uh, I almost said Cooper Cup and uh, Amari Cooper, you know, six catches, 94 yards and two touchdowns for CD land. Uh, Amari Cooper, four catches, 51. And I don't think that it's a complete coincidence here that Michael ba- Michael Gallup returned to this game because I think it, it adds an extra element to that offense that you just have to worry about. Because Michael, remember too, Michael Gallup's in a contract here. So, Unless he decides to stay in Dallas on a discount, which I would be surprised if he does, Michael Gallup's going to want to get his. He's pl- and he's already missed six games this season, so I think like Michael Gallup. If we see him this time next year, we'll be talking about him as a number as like a number one B yeah. kind of wide receiver. Like I was I really, just going to say, honestly, like a fringe number, one high two receiver. Yeah, kind of like a Robert Woods guy. Like yeah. the ways you can use yeah, him and. Call. and and I think he'll be able to put up a lot of points, obviously, depending on where he goes. If he goes to New York and play for with Danny Dimes or goes to the Jets or, you know, basically anywhere in, in northern New Jersey, he's probably not going to have a, a super, super fun time. Uh, but this game was about Dak, man. I mean, 317 receiving yards or passing yards. Um, didn't turn the ball over. Found ways. I mean, he he and CeeDee Lamb have seen them do this a couple times on these deep drag routes, and he threw one of his touchdowns on it, where Dak will just hit these perfect little – he's, like, fading out of the back of the pocket, and it's just a little flick, and it's, like, 25, 30 yards, and it rainbows, and it times up as CeeDee Lamb is streaming across the end zone, and he just ha- – it's it's like dropping it in a bucket, man. It's, it's really impressive, and – you know, obviously, like as an Eagles fan, like I don't love the cow. I don't love the Cowboys. Like I don't want them to win. Like it would, I it would make me nauseous watching them in a Super Bowl. But I like watching Dak play. He's he's just a he's an awesome quarterback. The way he he's able to to just everything. He's a complete quarterback. I said I've said this before, probably not on the pod actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. But when you think about what the modern NFL is now, right? Quarterbacks who can be mobile, who can run who can kind of, who can throw, who do it. Everyone is skilled at one particular thing, right? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they're master manipulators. They dominate based off of experience. Rodgers off of arm angles, Brady versus uh, based off of his pocket manipulation, his pre-snap stuff. They are savants at a higher level. All right. And then you have your, your running guys. You have your Kyler Murray's, you have your Lamar Jackson's who are just such elite level athletes who they can, you know, go make things happen with their legs, their ability to scramble and and all these, you know, scramble drills that kind of have guys leading open makes them so dynamic. You have Russell Wilson, who's kind of a cross between the two. He's a good athlete, but he's undersized, kind of like Kyler, and he can manipulate the game. Like Dak has the whole package. Dak is 6'4". He weighs 230. He's a big dude. He's got a huge arm. He can run the ball. Remember, before last season, he had the most rushing touchdowns in the NFL over a three-year uh, of a quarterback uh, over a three-year stretch. So, and then you're going to add on top of it, he's seeing the defense well. He obviously has an amazing supporting cast around him. But when you talk about a complete package, size, speed, can run, can make every single throw can do everything you need mentally from a quarterback is a good leader 
Dak might be, the, and also you, and then you factor in the age, like Dak kind of has it all. Now, I, I would be interested to watch him play on a team that didn't have CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott and an awesome offensive line. But we saw Tyron Smith come back and the difference that makes. Like when they're all healthy and now you got Michael Gallup in there too and Tony Pollard actually led the team in rushing this week at 11 carries for 42, Zeke had 41. They're going to be te- – they're just – that offense is, is terrifying. And I think with the injuries, with Dak and stuff, we've kind of forgotten about how elite the Cowboys can be. The defense yeah. is playing at a high level, but I'll, I will stand by this last thing. I'll, and I'll let you guys know I'm a little rambly here. It's rare for me to compliment the Cowboys, but yeah, this is weird, man. It's I don't weird. feel comfortable. Yeah. I'm sure all my Eagles friends and family are probably skipping this part of the pod. And you need to take earmuffs. a shower. I should, I should have <laughs> warned everybody. I was just earmuffs for this year. All right. I, I don't say whatever you want to do it, <laughs> but I am still, and this is where the Philly roots come back. I am waiting for the big game in the playoffs when Mike McCarthy pisses down his own leg. Oh, it's coming. It's, it's coming. At some yeah. point, it's going to come. And But I think right now when you talk about offenses, they are the most complete offense in the NFL. They Absolutely, are. man. And and the thing is, too, like with with particularly in the rushing game, uh, when you have a guy like Tony Pollard, right, that's not just like your fantasy good handcuff guy because he's going to score points no matter what, kind of like a Naeem Hines sort of guy over the last couple of years. But – uh, Pollard is like legit, like so a legit back. Like he could be the one back in most teams that are in the bottom half of the NFL. And so now you are afforded this opportunity to get him more involved and let Ezekiel Elliott rest a little bit more, right? As you start to gear up for your seven and two, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're hitting the the second third of the season. Um, it, it just to me, they have all the the pieces and play provided everybody stays healthy. And I know that's a tough task, uh, but they have all the pieces in place to, to make a deep run. Yeah. I completely agreed. Completely agreed. Uh, the other blowouts that we had, well, I guess there was one other close game, but it was just an ugly game was Jacksonville and Indy. Um, you know, look, they, that's a game the Colts need to win much like way more handily. And the fact that the Jaguars had the ball and were, as I think you put it perfectly. They were on the comeback trail and Trevor Lawrence had the fumble on the comeback trail. I thought it was a great line. Yeah. It was a disappointing outcome. Cause I, I root for, Tre- I like Trevor Lawrence. I don't like urban Meyer, but I root for the Jaguars. I also want them to, to I wanted them to win the game. So they were at least tied with Miami and they would have the tiebreaker. So at least they would be ahead of Miami. The draft pick would be better, but I love, I love watching Trevor Lawrence play. And I think he's going to be really, really good. I don't know if it's going to be urban Meyer who gets them there. But I will say this team has progressively looked better and better and better. Like Jacksonville hasn't gotten blown out in like a month, which might be a low bar to set, you know, but Trevor Lawrence has looked better and better every single week. Right. Uh, They did have the one, they had the ugly game against, uh, against the Seahawks, but they hung in there against Tennessee. It was the three point loss to uh, Cincinnati when they were winning at halftime, they were almost up 21, nothing. They beat Miami. They did get blown out by the Seattle, by Seattle, but then it was the three point win against Buffalo and then a six point loss. And honestly, the second half of that game felt way closer than what it was. And on the Indianapolis side of things, the Colts, I don't know what happened in the second half to Jonathan Taylor, but the dude ran for, he had 75 yards in the first quarter. First, <laughs> In the first quarter, he had 75 yards. And then the rest of the game, he was just non-existent. 
I, I I couldn't believe what I was saying or what I was seeing. And this is this is what Eagles fans talk about when when everyone was drooling over Carson Wentz when they beat up on the on the Jets, right? Carson Wentz looked so mediocre yesterday. And it goes back to all right, well, we were Eagles fans were always frustrated because Carson was just always trying to do the superhero stuff. He was always trying to make the big play, always trying to extend stuff, always trying to make things happen. And he would turn the ball over and got really bad with it towards the end. And I feel like now they've they've kind of pulled in the reins so much on him that you, we're seeing games like this where he's 22 of 34 and 180 yards. He was a game manager, but he didn't look good doing it. And so you you have this like Mustang, right? You have this Colt. Here we go. It's fitting. <laughs> and, and you're leaving him. You're kind of leaving him in the stable a little bit. You're putting him in in a in a closed and capture. You're only letting him do so much. But the thing is, is if you let him out, then the, the horse is going to run away. Right. And that's the downside with Carson Wentz. And when it looks good, it looks great. But then you have games like yesterday where their whole offense was around Jonathan Taylor. Second half comes along and Jackson says, well, we're not letting Jonathan Taylor be the reason we, we lose. And all of a sudden that offense got completely stalled. And Jacksonville's defense has sneakily gotten better and better and better. And the Colts defense on the other side, like I, as much as I do like Trevor Lawrence, you shouldn't be giving up 17 points to the Jaguars. There's only like, like honestly, like, unless you are really, really bad defensively, you should not be giving up 17 points to the Jaguars. Yeah. I like James um, Robinson, but, but like when Dan, Dan Arnold's been the leading receiver for them for like three straight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what is going on there in the passing game with, with Jacksonville. I mean, they've, they had Marvin Jones Jr. on a heater, like in the first third of the season. Um, and now all of a sudden they're not even targeting him. Um, and then obviously like Chanel, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, that's been a, a problem all season long too, but um they uh Jamal Agnew is, has emerged as like one of the one of the best receivers in that in that group. So I don't know. I just it the the one thing I did like about uh Indianapolis's defense was uh the special teams play number one and then getting off um the the pass rushes in a close game, uh they were just able to get after Trevor Lawrence um and and, and beat a, a really I mean, obviously the Jaguars offensive line is not, you know, top tier, but like uh, they were able to get to the quarterback and that's, yeah. it's not easy to do in the NFL, especially late games when, when a team like Jacksonville was coming back on the trail. Um, so I credit to them, like Quiddy Pace finally back in the lineup and healthy. I love that dude. I've been hammering him since like uh, mid season last season when he's still in Michigan. Like uh, he's such a good uh, such a good end. And then uh, Darius Leonard, who's, I think he got injured in that game. Well, that was like going to be what I brought up here is that the, the most important part of that Colts defense is, is su- significantly banged up. And yeah. outside of Darius Leonard, like you're right, Quiddy Pay, I think he's got a bright future in the NFL. Yeah. But I mean, they sell DeForest Buckner and he's really yeah. the only other guy for them, but that secondary is depleted. <laughs> They've the, the, the secondary, especially on the back end, like with the safeties, they lost one of their starting safeties for the year earlier this season. The Colts are probably going to be seven and 10, eight and nine, but the Colts have a tough remaining schedule. And at this point, all I hope for the Colts is that Carson Wentz stays on the field. Uh, Patriots Browns, the game that I think most people were, were excited about again, no Nick Chubb, that game kind of lost its luster a little bit, but this is what I was talking about with new England. 
like New England last week, like New England has found something here. This is four straight wins for New England. They were two and four a month ago. And now they're sitting at six and four quality wins on their resume, beating teams that they should beat and beating them by a lot. Like they did against uh, the jets last week. And now in a game where the Browns like, and I get it, the Browns didn't have Chubb, but the Browns defense who we've been lauding is one of the best defenses in the NFL, especially over the last like month before this game just gave up 45 points and they did it without, and the Patriots did it without Damian Harris, who's been their best running back. Ramon J. Stevenson has two touchdowns, a hundred yards. And Mac Jones is just, he's just dealing what he, he's dealing on what he should be dealing on, right? Like he's not dishing out the way that Rogers or Russell Wilson or Tom Brady or any of these other like elite level quarterbacks are everything that they're asking him to do. He's doing almost flawlessly. And I think right now we're talking about teams that can make runs in the AFC. I believe that right because of how balanced they are in every area of the game, the Patriots can beat anybody in the AFC. I think that they could beat Kansas city. I think they could beat Buffalo. I think they could beat uh, Tennessee. I mean, look at, look at the top of the leaderboard in the AFC and tell me a team that you feel like, you know what? I don't think the Patriots would be able to beat them. I think they can beat Baltimore. Obviously, the Dolphins just beat Baltimore. And if Brian Flores, a disciple of the school of Belichick, was able to scheme that up, well, then, yeah, I think Belichick would be able to do something to slow him down, too, especially with much better players. And J.C. Jackson, who has just emerged as the as it's like, oh, Stephon Gilmore, defensive player of the year as a cornerback, only a handful of guys have won at that position. Yeah, go ahead. We'll we'll trade you for a sixth round pick and we'll just let J.C. Jackson hold down the fort. Uh, They are really good. Jalen Mills has been really good for them as well. And New England just continuing to roll, and the Browns. Yeah, I mean, it's they clear. Good. <laughs> it's clear without Nick Chubb and with how banged up Baker is, that this team is limited. It's not that they can't win games. It's not that they can't make the playoffs. I just think the ceiling for them has dropped. And I, you know, like there were still some really good throws by Baker, but the yin and the yang of like this is the same team that basically beat the Bengals by the same score that they just got beat by. You know, they got worked. And I heard a fun stat, too. The last time that the Browns won in Foxborough, Bill Belichick was the head coach. Wow. <laughs> Which That's full circle. How about that? Yeah. yeah. I Look, man, I, for, for the Browns, I still think you have a shot. Like, you, there's enough talent on that team. And, and granted, they've been really banged up on – and not just on offense, on both sides of the ball. Uh, I mean – They've just been absolutely horrifically injured uh, throughout the course of the year. But, I mean, what did we say on the podcast for last week for the Patriots offense? The best recipe is to sort of, uh, if if you're going to let Mac Jones throw, make him throw, you know, short. Go a little dink and dunk instead of trying to make the the hero pass uh, against this, this Cleveland defense. And then he was able to get in. Uh, enough of those passes mixed in with which what I find interesting the most intriguing part about this this Patriots offense by the way over the past five ish weeks six maybe uh, since they've been they've been winning consistently is they're doing it with number one being able to establish the run and that's something they haven't done in a while and number two it's all inside stuff this isn't outside runs uh, option plays where you're pitching it to the outside and you got three lead blockers in front of you. No, they're like, all right, we're going to go, we're going to go inside uh, power. O. 
with yeah. whatever back we got, Ramondre Stevenson, Damian Harris, uh, uh, and then you've got Brandon Bolden out in the flat uh, to pass to as well. So that's something we haven't seen from the Patriots in a while. Um, and it's a really long time. So uh, if you can, if you can run your offense that way and build check. In, uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're any just team. like that. That's scary. They're just run. They're doing the, the, what every like guy in his late fifties says when he watches football, just got to ground a pound to establish the run, just bang it up the middle. Right. They're doing all the cliches that everyone who like is a football fan, but like never like coached or played or, or anything. Not to say that like you or I are some football savants here, but they're, they're, they go, it, it justifies every, you know, fit, like guy in his late fifties who watched old school football. And it's working because on top of that too, yes, like Mac Jones is doing the smart thing with the, with the ball, but they're also letting him take some shots when they're there, you know, like the touchdown pass to Kendrick Bourne, that throw was amazing. Yeah. The window he fit that between the two defensive backs was spectacular. The, the touchdown pass to Hunter Henry, or both of the touchdown passes to Hunter, Hunter Henry were great throws. And so they're letting him, it's very similar to what Sark did with him at Alabama last year, which was, all right, we don't know what we have in Mac Jones. We know he can throw it a little bit. And you start him off with a, little, with a small amount, and then you slowly increase it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and you, you expand the playbook. But the only difference is there's a limit to how much they can expand, expand the playbook in New England because when he was at, in uh, Alabama, you had Devontae Smith and you had John Mechie and you had all these pass catchers and Najee Harris. You had all these skill guys. New England is still limited with the skill guys that they have. So they kind of, they kind of hit this sweet spot right now. And I think eventually, like, I don't think they're going to like win out or anything. I don't think they're going to end as one of the top three seeds, but I'll tell you what, when, whenever they, I forget, I'm, I'm going to pull up their schedule now. I forget when they play Buffalo. Cause they haven't played Buffalo Buffalo yet. So I haven't they got them twice. Yeah. So they and go the Titans yeah. next week. They're uh, at Atlanta. And then it's a, I think it's a buy. I oh, know they're in Atlanta this Thursday. Uh, and then they're home against the Titans. And then they're at Buffalo at Indy and then home versus Buffalo again. So they get Buffalo, Indy, Buffalo, that stretch. And obviously the Titans game as well. Like that's going to be our, that's going to be the test here because these wins, like they beat the chargers by three. They obviously beat up on the jets. Uh, they beat up on the Panthers and they just beat up on the Browns. I would assume that they're going to beat up on, on Atlanta this weekend, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I think they have a chance, especially if they, even if they just split with Buffalo, cause we've seen Buffalo look human at times too, but if they could steal both, the new England's definitely has a chance to end up being a team right there in, you know, in the AFC East to potentially win that division. Uh, I believe, yep, that is, Oh, we have Buffalo in the jets. Uh, good transition there that I blew the Buffalo bills. Looked really good once again. Um, yeah, honest, get right game. It, yeah. it was, it was. And when you look at the stats, the stats actually aren't as dominating as the what you saw with your eyes, right? Like Josh Allen, it felt like it really does feel like he's taken like a baby step back this year. He's not as electric as he was last year. It feels like the passing offense still isn't completely there, but the connection with him and Stefan Diggs has really started to kind of come back in the last few weeks uh, with the Jacksonville game, you know, aside there, he still goes 21 to 28 for 366 and two touchdowns. Right. So like he's still putting up big numbers, 
But the running game was the big difference here in this game. They had three rushing touchdowns, which sucks if you have them in fantasy like I do. But the big number here, if you want to feel really confident about the Buffalo Bills, is the eight catches and 160 in the touchdown just to Stephon Diggs. Like getting that going again, like that was their secret weapon. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of the Jets. I mean, the Jets stink. Sometimes they yeah. play hard. Sometimes not it looks good. like they're just not there. Um, Buffalo did exactly what they should have done this game, exactly what they needed to do in this game. And, the, you know, the 17 from Buffalo at the end, I mean, the Joe Flacco touchdown was hilarious uh, and the Michael Carter touchdown. I mean, at that point, it was backups in for Buffalo and, and they're just kind of getting reps there. Um, the numbers, I, I guess I was being a bitch. I don't know. It just it's it doesn't feel the same. Well, does that well, make sense the, to you? Like it, the Buffalo does, offense doesn't feel the same to me. It does from an explosive standpoint, but also considering this game that they're, each of their three running backs found the end zone. Um, and one of them did twice. Matt Breida had a, a, a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown. Yeah. And then um, Singletary and Moss both had touchdowns. So if if he, it might not look as explosive as you remember last year with Josh Allen slinging the ball going like 30 of 45 for 425 yeah. and whatever, you know. But like if you can sort of balance that out, and establish the run against some of these teams, maybe that's the the recipe. Because yeah. when we got to the playoffs, what we saw was uh, that always that doesn't always work against really good defenses. When they ran into the into the Steelers, particular into the uh, Chiefs, I mean, particularly when the Chiefs had a good defense, you know, um, you know in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, you, you know what? If and I think you're exactly right. The explosive plays are, that's a huge part of it. The other thing I'll add to that too is maybe why it kind of feels this way for me is it doesn't look easy. Even in this game, it, it doesn't like every, like the, the one thing we always said about Mahomes and that offense during this stretch when Kansas City was so dominant was it just looks so effortless. It just looks so easy, right? He's just ball, just throwing it all over. This doesn't, this offense doesn't feel, and like it, it looked that way last year. Like Buffalo, for their offense felt like it looked easy last year. And there have been times this year where it's looked that way, especially in the first like month of the season. But we've seen them be challenged by teams. And especially maybe it was just that Tennessee game's lingering in my head. It just doesn't look easy. And I think maybe we just anointed Buffalo as like, oh, they're going to look just like Kansas City again, just like they did last year. And maybe that last year was just a little bit more of a one-off. They're still productive. They're still putting up big numbers. They're still winning a lot of games big, even though they did lose the, you know, the game to the Jacksonville last week. But it just doesn't look as effortless as it has in the past. And maybe that's more of like where my concern or, or skepticism, maybe is a better word for it. Um, four o'clock window, Carolina, Arizona, the Panthers shocking the world. Cam Newton. I'm back. He's back. That yeah. was cool. I, I'm not gonna lie. That was cool, man. Cause <laughs> yeah, it was fun for, for the crap that a lot of people like to give Cam Newton, whether it's the weird hieroglyphics and you know, all of his tweets and his social media, or I don't even think he has Twitter, but like his, his Instagram wardrobe. Yeah, the wardrobe and, and everything like Cam is honest. He's a great teammate, right? Like it's the same stuff we said about like when he went to New England, it was all of this like, oh, is he going to be able to fit in with with the New England Patriots style? Is he going to be do it the Patriot way? And the one thing Bill Belichick said about him, which, again, like it's so rare for Belichick to, to be as profusely supportive and, and openly supporting players, which, you know, that's kind of just the Belichick thing. The way he talked about Cam Newton was like, no, he's an unbelievable teammate. Mac Jones said the same thing, like unbelievable teammate. Like we love this guy. 
And they did what was right by Cam, knowing he wasn't going to be the starter and knowing that they, it was time we're going to give the reins over to Mac Jones because he's ready right away. And I just feel like Cam has this reputation that I don't think he's ever really deserved. Like, I don't think Cam's ever deserved to kind of be questioned that way. And maybe it goes back to the way that black quarterbacks have been viewed in the NFL for a really long time by, by people, right? And the perception of, oh, if he's a black quarterback, he's got this crazy hair, he's got these crazy outfits, then he must be a bad. No, it's like people, he might be the most beloved individual teammate in like in our lifetime when it comes to the NFL. Like people say the same thing about Brady. And to see him and kind of go through all that and then to find his way back home to Carolina and then come out, score in that first drive with the rushing touchdown and then score again on the next drive through the air, I just thought was so cool. Uh, obviously Arizona was missing Kyler. They were missing Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy is a good backup for a, a game, maybe two. Um, if a quarterback gets bumped out from a game, he can go right in. He'll be ready right away. But this is why we've seen Colt McCoy struggle as an NFL quarterback for so many years. Cause he's just not, he's, he, he's so limited in what he can do. And eventually you get enough tape on him. That strip sack on the opening series was like, it was from then on. I went, Oh no. Like that happened, and I think I I, I said because we both had Arizona in this game. I was like, oh no, this is not, this is not going to look good, especially considering that when we picked it, at least Arizona was a ten and a half point favorite. If you waited until the start of the game, I believe that number dropped down to five and a half. But either way, they end up losing by twenty four, and Carolina gets a huge win. Sam Darnold's going to be out for a substantial amount of time. PJ Walker, who's the guy who has not been talked about at all, because so much of the emphasis and so much of what people have talked about has been about. Cam Newton and Cam Newton coming back. PJ Walker had a damn good game. 22 of 29 for 167 yards. Yeah. All right. Like he did everything he was asked to. He was the quarterback, the majority of the game. And then the, the, the Odoi aspect of this too, is it looks like Christian McCaffrey is actually healthy and he has a, a 95 on the ground, 66 through the air. And uh, yeah, this game just felt like it was, it was over after 14, nothing early. And then, yeah, it was over. There was no way Colt McCoy was getting them back in that game. No, no. And then he went down injured. So <laughs> now you're on your third string. And I mean, yeah, I don't even know who this guy is. Yeah. Something I never heard of him. Streveler, Streveler, Chris Streveler. It's a second season. Oh, he went to, yeah. oh, okay. He went to South Dakota. I actually know who this kid is. That's wild. Yeah. I didn't recognize the name at first, but I saw the picture of him. I was like, oh, yeah. FCS, every FCS quarterback, I'm contractually obligated to, to know, I think, but <laughs> yeah, not for long. I, I don't know what this offense is without Kyler uh, and even also without DeAndre. I, like, they've not looked good on offense the past couple of weeks, and frankly, I didn't really look that good on offense against Green Bay um, <clears throat> when they were uh, when they were banged up. So, I don't well, they know. Look, they looked I, pretty I, good against your boys last week. Uh, yeah, well, that's not hard to do. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to lean on James Conner to to carry the load uh, at running back, and then what uh, when when he's banged up to to be playing uh, two three downs a game or two three downs a, a series uh, later in the season or potentially the playoffs, you're going to be like, oh well, I guess that was the the magic uh, cure for us that we should have. Uh, should have handled that better. No, like, come well, on. I mean, like, there's no, so there's no Chase Edmonds, right? No D hop, yeah. no Kyler. If you take the th three of the best four players off of any team in the NFL, you're going to have regression like this. That's what right? I mean though. But like, 
I think the bigger question here is more of, is this going to be the standard with Kyler every year? Is Kyler becoming one of those people who's getting hurt? And then all of a sudden, when, when you get to this point in the season, because it's now the third year in a row, he's, this is his third season in the league. And this is the third year in a row that here we are in November and Kyler Murray is missing multiple games. Yeah. And I want to see Kyler stay healthy because when he's healthy, he's as amazing to watch as any player in the NFL. But you can, if he's not on the field, you know, again, these cliches, I, I'll, I'm a big like analogy guy. I'm a big cliche guy because like the reason cliches exist are because they've been proven out over years and years and years and years. Right. Like a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Right. Like you can think of any cliche you want in the world. It's there. Half of them are freaking like Chinese proverbs. Right. Like and in the NFL, it's the same way. And the best of ability is availability. And I love Kyler. But if this is going to be the tale every single year, which is he looks incredible in September and October, and then he starts to get banged up because he's five foot 11 and he weighs 170 pounds, 180 pounds, however much he weighs, that's going to be a problem over time. And I, I love Kyler, but without him, you're right. This team is not the same. And you can say that about every team in the league. But if, when the guy who's your entire team is based around, who this time next year we're going to be talking about extending Kyler Murray and giving him a big fat extension, are you going to be willing to give Kyler Murray $170 million? Because that's probably where the next contract is going to be. You know, Josh yeah. Allen was 160 this year. So you're, are you going to be willing to do that for a guy who, to, through three you know, seasons in, gets hurt this way? Like, I don't know if his body is capable of doing that. Now, I don't want to speculate on that stuff. And if any quarterback is going to be able to survive at his size at any other, I mean, like right now, Kyler's a good bet based off of the way that the NFL protects quarterbacks, but that hasn't seemed to help him to this point. And so you're right to a point, to an extent, but I just wanted to at least point out that like, if you take the two best players on your offense, including a quarterback off of any good team, you take Mike Evans and Tom Brady off the bucks, what are the bucks? Well, they're starting Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask. You know, that and, sounds fun. Yeah, right. I mean, you can you can go. We saw the same thing with the Packers last week. You know, no Aaron Rodgers. They did get Devontae Adams back for that game, but they barely hung on to beat a, a bad Chiefs team. Uh, well, at least at that point, a Chiefs offense that hadn't really seemed to find themselves. But we'll get to that. We're, we're previewing here. Uh, other four o'clock games: Minnesota and LA. Minnesota, for the first time all year, decided to be aggressive in the fourth quarter. Hmm. And it worked. Shocking. These are two teams that are so, again, like there's so many of these weird teams this year, but I've said it all year that Minnesota is the weirdest team. I have no idea what's going to happen. Ever, there's been one game this year out of the nine that they've played that hasn't been a one-possession game. Other than that, every single one's been a one-possession game. And they proved it again in this game. Where there were moments where the Chargers looked like they were clearly the best team or the better team, at least. And Minnesota would find its way to kind of come back. And then when they needed it most, they hit Justin Jefferson on that deep catch. An unbelievable catch by Justin Jefferson that ices the game out. But here you are playing one of the worst rushing teams in all of or rush defensive teams in all of football. You have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison in your backfield, and you're still reluctant to try to run the ball consistently. But then when they needed to, all of a sudden, the play calling is what I found interesting. The, the average depth of target in the fourth quarter was substantially deeper than what it had been, honestly, in this game, but 
all season long. Right now, Minnesota is in as a good of position to, to make a playoff run, but Minnesota still has to play Green Bay twice. They still have a bunch of tough games left on their schedule. I, I could see them sneaking in as the seventh seed, right? But I don't know, man. I just Minnesota's just going to do this every single week. They're just going to be weird. If they're ever in a double-digit spread, don't bet it because it's probably, you know, bet on Minnesota to cover because it seems like yeah. every single time they play, it's like I said, it's a one-possession game. And then the Chargers, for how good they looked early on in the year, the, the defense is a problem. But now it's starting to trickle over to the offense where Herbert's missing some throws. They're not getting a consistent running game. And teams are basically forcing Justin Herbert to be the guy that's beating them. And in doing so, they're loading up the box or they're playing. They're, they're not sending pressure. And it's funny because you know, we talked about this stat at nauseum last year uh, in the offseason and going into this season, how good Justin Herbert is against the blitz. And now teams are like, all right, we're not going to blitz you now. And it's, he's like, wait, I have too much time. And now he's he's almost overthinking it. I feel like you can almost see the hamster in his head running, being like, oh, all right, where do I go? Because he, he's so much better when it's these quick timing throws. And then, hey, now let me take a shot. But the deep throws haven't been there at all for them. And I'll add one more thing here, Scotty. The big difference maker in this offense in the first month to six weeks of the season was Mike Williams. Mike Williams yeah. was looking like, uh, like, oh, this is the guy you drafted in the top 10. This is the guy who was supposed to be a, a generational type wide receiver. Yeah. And since then, he has fallen since, off a cliff. Since he got hurt, though. Yeah. Since he yeah, got hurt. Is, true. Like, he's, pl- he's been playing banged up, and credit to him for at least getting out there. But the offense, uh, Keenan Allen is the guy who's going to get you, like, today, eight ca- or like yesterday, eight catches for 98 yards, no touchdowns. Like, that is the Keenan Allen, like, like flatline, like baseline stats every single week. And that's the second straight week that they've operated more out of the slot than on the edge. And it's worked. Uh, and so I don't know why you don't continue to do that, especially against a team like uh, Minnesota, who's the, the weak point of their defense is their linebacking core. So just like go over the middle a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's easy to say that, but I think right now it's, it's Keenan Allen. And then without Mike Williams looking like, cause Mike Allen, Mike Williams had like four touchdowns in the first three games of the season, you know, yeah, but they were all like 50 yards or more. They were deep. Well, exactly. Cause you had, you had a guy who was on the outside. You had a guy who would allow you. Cause I, I agree. I think Keenan Allen operates better out of the slot, but now you don't have that. So Keenan Allen is Keenan Allen is duct tape. Keenan Allen is WD 40. He's the thing that you can, the multi-purpose tool that you can use in any way that you want that's going to be able to cover up mm-hmm. a lot of your problems. He can play out of the slide. He can play on the outside. You can send him in motion. There's a bunch of things you can do with him, and he's going to be good at all of it. But having the big play, splashy like guy, like Herbert needs that guy because Herbert wants to stretch the field. They don't have that without Mike Williams. They're very clearly missing a wide receiver presence right now. And the other part, too, is they've not been able to run the ball. And in this game alone, like Austin Eckler, this is probably Eckler's worst game of the year. Guy we've seen have multi-touchdown games. Guy we've seen who's had 100-yard rushing and 50-yard receiving games on the regular. Uh, Or at least up around 100 total yards. Yeah, Minnesota did a really good job of of basically taking Austin Eckler out of this game and forcing it to be, all right, like this is going to be the Justin Herbert show. But I'll also add this. Even though Dalvin Cook, 24 carries, 94 yards, touchdown, he had a he had a good day. 
the, the way that they were able to control overall possession, right? I mean, just look at the, the total plays. Like, Herbert threw the ball 34 times. They had 19 rushes, right? So offensively, I'm bad at math off the top of my head, but what is that, 40, 53 plays in total? Yeah. You know, compared to 70? Yeah, compared to 70 for Minnesota. Minnesota held the ball in this game. They controlled the clock. Um, and Kirk Cousins does what Kirk Cousins does every other game, which is like, oh, good Kirk Cousins showed up today. Yeah. Well, and what I don't understand with the Minnesota offense is you have two players in your offense who are in the top five of their respective position categories, and you don't utilize them as much as you should, and they finally did with, with Justin Jefferson, like – hello, like he can put up 140 every game. Did you not see what happened last year? Um, and then with Dalvin, it's like he he can do that 24, 25. And I said this all year last year in the beginning of this year, Dalvin needs the ball to touch the ball 22 to 25 times to be at, at all effective in a game for you. So he gets 24 and 94 here. But the way that they were calling the plays for him, I just don't understand why you're calling designed outside runs. I know he's one of the best backs in the league, but he's not an outside run guy. He's a North-South guy, and you, you force him to try to jump cut inside or outside to try to, to, to pick up a couple more yards. But I think part of, that, part of that's also on Dalvin, right? Like, holes are there. You have, it's the same argument I've made with Miles Sanders. When you go back and watch Miles Sanders, everyone in the beginning of the season about the Eagles is like, why is Miles Sanders not getting the ball? Well, when you watch it, when he was getting the ball, he wasn't running through the hole. They're running him on these stretch zones. You're right. Like, they are trying to get him outside a little bit more because with his injury history, you honestly can't just give him on – you can't just give him traps every single time. You can't just run him yeah. off tackle every single time. You have to be a little bit creative. And I'll say, I like Dalvin Cook running through the C-gaps, right, like that works. So even if you're running him in between your tackle and your guard, I'm okay with that. Even if you're running between a tight end or on a, on a stretch play, I'm okay with that. What I, what I would, would not want to see Dalvin Cook running is more of a zone scheme where you have him in shotgun and you're kind of working him off that, which they don't typically do. They typically have Cousins under yeah. center, and they kind of work it off of that. And the offense is just – it's just kind of weird. I don't know. Both of these teams feel like they're in that, that middle, that no man's land in the middle, which just feels like half the NFL right now. Uh, Seahawks and Packers. Uh, we uh, just – Ugly game. I mean, I think everyone's heard it. It's the first time that Russell Wilson's ever been shut out in his career. In 151 starts, he's never been shut out. Uh, the Packers' defense is really good. And what yeah. they're doing without Jair Alexander is wild. And I think, like, did Aaron Rodgers look great? No. He didn't practice all week. He just basically showed up after being away for 12 days and was like, all right, let's play some football. You know, like, that. That like that's all. And, and – he still wasn't terrible. Uh, AJ Dillon is awesome. I've been singing that dude's praises since he was coming out of Boston College. He was one of my favorite players in college football a couple of years ago. He's continuing to prove why he, you know, he's worthy of it. He's also a great example as to why you don't draft running backs in the first round. They got AJ Dillon, I believe, in the late third, early fourth round. And again, this guy is like, he's a monster. He's so hard to tackle. You can find guys like this in every single draft. Stop drafting running backs in the first round. I don't care if it's Najee Harris. If Najee Harris had been playing at Arkansas, guess what? Najee Harris wouldn't have been a first-round pick. Najee Harris would have been a third-round pick, and he would have been fucking awesome. And even Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, 
awesome player out of Georgia, second round pick, right? So even if you want to reach and get him, and as much as I do like Miles Sanders, shouldn't have drafted him in the second round. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done it because we just saw the Eagles dominate with Boston Scott and Jordan Howe. So, you know, stop doing that. Draft guys like AJ Dillon, like uh, Aaron Jones, who got hurt in this game, but is only expected he sprained his MCL. He's expected to miss a couple of weeks. But luckily for the Packers, you do have AJ Dillon and you have Aaron yeah. Rodgers and you have Devontae Adams. The Packers are the best team in football. I feel confident right in saying that. Yeah. I, I, I think they, I don't know. I don't have the betting odds up in front of me, but if you're looking at like futures for the rest of the season, Packers should be the betting favorite. You have arguably the best quarterback, the reigning MVP. You have arguably the best wide receiver. You're getting one of the best offensive linemen in football back because Bakhtiari was downgraded to doubtful right before the game. He ended up not playing in this game, right? So he should, hopefully will be back next week, but you should have him for the rest of the season healthy and rested, which will be huge for that running game. And you've also now had a backup in there who has played 10 games into the season and is actually like understands the offense. So if something else happens or you need to bring in a six offensive lineman, you have a guy with experience now. And the defense is playing really, really well. Packers are the best team in football. Did lose uh, Rashawn Gary on the defense. I don't know how extensive that injury is, but that would be a huge loss. He he did not look good um, uh, so coming out of that. Uh, the update on that. Stefania Bell hat on. The update on that from what I saw today is there's nothing like season ending. Um, he's still trying to play next week. He it was bracing up his knee because I believe he had a, a an MCL tear and not tear but an MCL sprain as well. Uh, but now he has like an elbow injury. It's it's an upper yeah. body. It's an arm or it's an elbow or shoulder injury that he's getting checked on. He was getting checked on today, so we should we should see. But nothing that will hold him out long term. He should be there for the rest of the season. But they're also going to get Jair Alexander back. Yeah, and then this defense gets even better. The Packers, by the way, plus. 1,000 to, to win, win the Super Bowl, Bowl outright. Are they the yeah. betting favorite? Tied with the Cardinals and the Chiefs. No, the betting favorite right now is the Buffalo Bills at plus 550. Tampa Bay at plus 600. Rams That's plus nuts. 750. Buffalo then Chiefs, is still Cardinals the favorite? Packers at plus 1,000. Yep. Wow. Um, That's honestly really surprising. Um, Wow. Well, there you go. Great odds. Sprinkle. If I, I'm t- if yeah. I was betting right now, Put some money on 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 Green Bay, and I'll I'll add this too. Everyone knows the strength of schedule, right? You know, it's like a big big statistic. It's like what your essentially what the winning percentage is of when you add up all the teams that you play. Um, right now, the Packers are four four sixty two, right win percentage. So they haven't had to play a super difficult schedule, and some you'll see really high, some you'll see low. But their strength of victory, which is the record of teams that you've beaten is 431, which puts them in the top 10 in the NFL right now. I think, which is funny, because you know who, what team's in first place? It's actually hilarious. Um, no. Who? It's the Jets. Oh, wow. Because it's winning percentage, <laughs> right? So because they beat... Oh, yeah, so you've got the uh, exactly. Titans up there. Because they the, beat yeah. the Titans, who have an awesome record, whatever it averages out to be. You know, What was the Jets' other win this year? Who's the other team they beat? No, Cincinnati. I'm just going. Cincinnati. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, those are their two wins, Cincinnati. And so they're they're at like 684. But other than that, it's a lot of like 400. It's a lot of three somethings. You know, the Saints actually have a really good strength of victory as well. 
Um, and now Green Bay is the number one seed because they have the head-to-head win over Arizona. And that game is going to come down. That's going to be a game we look back on throughout the season and be like, oh, yeah, that game is, is matters a lot. Seattle, you know, you're, they're three and six. I wouldn't rule them out completely, but they still play in a really tough division. They have to play Seattle. Uh, they have to play L.A. twice. Uh, they're going to have to play Arizona again. And they're going to have to play San Francisco again. All those could be losses. Uh, I think Seattle season's likely over. This was a game that, like, it felt like they – I mean, it was – they were down 3 nothing going into the fourth quarter. So yeah. it, it, Wilson looked lost though. It was weird. Yeah, like, so much for all those like air he was, reps. He had some rust on. Yeah, all those all those reps against the air. Turns out mental reps like that don't always translate to uh, on the field success. Yeah, uh, but that? also like maybe coming back after a month after you broke your middle finger on your throwing hand when your entire job is to throw the football is not the best shape to be in going into a big game. Uh, but yeah, the Packers are really good. Packers are a really, really good team. Both sides of the ball, complete team. And I know the public doesn't like Aaron Rodgers, but if we know one thing about Aaron Rodgers, that he is a salty motherfucker. And now he has a vendetta against all of the media, against all the people who picked against them, but also all the people who gave him shit about the COVID thing, even though he was completely guilty of all of that. He's going to have an extra chip on his shoulder. And if it's not this year for Aaron Rodgers, I don't know when it's going to be. So, Sprinkle some money, get plus a thousand odds. That is some that is some a good little chunk of change right there. I would take Green Bay right now as my, as my favorite to win the Super Bowl. The last of the four o'clock games. How about them birds, baby? How about them Philadelphia oh, Eagles? The Eagles, babe. Uh, they are right back in the mix. Right back in the mix. It's it's really wild. We were talking about this, but I mean, they clearly have found an identity, right? Running the football, they only threw the ball three times in the second half because they didn't have the ball a lot. Denver had the ball the majority of the second half. But when they did, they just ran the ball when they needed to, right? And the and the other thing, too, that contributes to that was the fumble return from Darius Slay for a touchdown because uh, uh-huh. you know, then you're just immediately that getting was the crazy. ball back to Denver. It really was. It was a clear fumble in the replay, but live it didn't look like a fumble at all. But Davion Taylor, who was one of my favorite players coming out of that draft, in terms of what I thought his potential could be. He's a linebacker that ran a 4-4-40. A linebacker ran a 4-4-40. He's incredibly raw. He was late to football in high school. The only offer he really had that was substantial was to go to Colorado. But you would see him on tape just flying around and chasing guys down from behind. And he's really taken a step up this year. And for what was a position of that had nobody in it at all, you know, now you look at what the Eagles have there. They cut Eric Wilson, and now it's TJ Edwards, who's played really well, Alex Singleton, who's still in the top five in the league in tackles this year. And you can throw in Davion Taylor there, who's an athletic freak, who's actually starting to understand the game. So the defense is getting better, kind of, because I still think they're so – like whenever Teddy Bridgewater decided to kind of throw it around, there were, there were guys open. But it was everything underneath. So they really are doing this bend but don't break. We're going to give you underneath stuff. Next week against New Orleans is going to be a really fascinating game. The Eagles are actually a one-and-a-half-point favorite as of right now. But the storyline is on the offense, and we were talking about this before we recorded today. Uh, Hembo from ESPN, he was the producer on Mike and Mike. He's a producer on Get Up Now. He tweeted this out. In the last three games, right, so since week eight, and again, this is a small sample size, but this is going back to the Detroit game when they decided to start running the ball aggressively. The Eagles are first in the NFL in points per drive, total QBR, rushing yards per game, 10-yard rushes, third down percentage, 
drive score percentage, average drive distance, success rate, and efficiency. Now, I'm curious, and Les Bone, who covered the Eagles for a very long time, had this tweet uh, yesterday, which I thought was very smart. He said, it looks great, and the running numbers are awesome, but they've played three bad rush defenses in a row. Right? They played Detroit, they played the Chargers, and they played Denver. I want to see what they can do against a good rushing defense, which is the New Orleans Saints, right? They're going to have that test next week. The most um, encouraging thing for Eagles fans right now is the way that Jalen Hurts looked yesterday because they didn't ask Jalen to do a whole lot, but what he did with his opportunities was really, really impressive. Obviously, I think everybody saw what was, in my opinion, the play of the day, the Devontae Devontae Smith touchdown catch. I mean, that play was that that play was ridiculous. And it was cool, too, because it was him versus Patrick Sertan. Right. A little bit of Alabama, Alabama crime. And Devontae Smith, four catches for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Now, he had all of that in the first half. So Sertan definitely got his revenge in the second half. But remember, Jalen Hurts only threw the ball three times in the second half. So they let him throw a lot. Right. He was sick. He was, I think, 15 of 20 in the first half. So when he's thrown the ball, he's been really good. He's able to run the ball. And the Eagles now, three weeks in a row, have had three different guys with over 40 rushing yards. It's also three weeks in a row that they had three different guys with over 10 carries. And if they can continue this trend of, hey, we're going to run the ball and it's going to open stuff in our pass game. Dallas Goddard, too, was tearing apart that the, the Denver defense. He had two big catches in the first, like the opening drive. He gets knocked out of the game with a potential concussion. So hopefully he comes back next week. But between Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, who dropped a wide open touchdown pass, like right through his hand to end the half. The Eagles actually might act like might be a, a, a better team than what we've thought throughout the season. My initial prediction of them being a frisky team, I think I said that I had them at seven and ten. They might be better than that because the the similar to what we were talking about with Tennessee, the Eagles have an incredibly difficult strength of schedule this year, right? They've played a really, really tough schedule. Well, if you look at the yeah, rest, it's getting easier. Yeah. Now, as I was saying, if you look at the rest of their schedule, right, the Eagles are four and six right now. They are home against the Saints, right, which at this point seems like a very winnable game. And then it's at Giants, at Jets, home against Washington, home against the Giants, and at Washington. That's six six games that are all very winnable. My guess is they'll probably drop one or two of those. And then they're home against the Cowboys, at which point the Cowboys will already have the division locked up and they'll probably be playing Cooper Rush. So the Eagles will probably be playing for a potential playoff spot and the Cow- and they'll go be going up against Cooper Rush. The Eagles have, might have something to play for, but they have to take care of business down this stretch. They could just as easily lose to the Jets or Washington. Right? We've seen both of those teams win pretty big games. And they could also lose to the Saints this week. So they could also finish the season at 6-11 and 11 or 7-10. and 10. But there's a world right now where the Eagles somehow make the playoffs at nine and eight because they have the head-to-head against Carolina and Minnesota has a really tough remaining schedule, as do the Panthers as well. And they would also, if they beat the Saints this weekend, they would have the head-to-head against the Saints. So things are actually looking up in Philly. They're three and three in their last six games. They're two out of their last, they've won two out of their last three. And they have three road wins this year of 17 points or more. It's only partially cloudy in Philadelphia. It's, it's, it's overcast in, in Philadelphia right now. Uh, the Broncos are, again, just a team that's like, 
all right, some they just beat the crap out of the Cowboys and they come down and lay, lay an egg at home uh, to Philly. It was the first time since like 76, I think, the Eagles won in Denver. Hmm. Which is wow. which is crazy because it doesn't happen a lot, you know. When they do, you know, it's every once in a while. And, and the Eagles were, you know, they had their Buddy Ryan stretch in the '90s, but for the better part of a lot of those those times, they weren't a great team. And you know, the yeah. last and a, a missed opportunity too. I mean, with the way that the the and or AFC West shook out yesterday, yes, Broncos could be in first place. I mean, so, yeah, it's it, 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 crazy. That but... loss for Denver hurt them a lot. Because if they're six and four, yeah, they would have been six and four with the win. They would have been tied with Kansas City. And I don't believe they've played each other yet this year. So we'll see. And then you know what? That's a good transition because the Kansas City Chiefs looked like the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit last night. Uh Tyreek Hill has two touchdowns. Travis Kelsey had a touchdown. Uh, or if not, he just had a big day on a big day. I don't remember. Um, but Kansas City looked good. And the Raiders have fallen off. Uh, I think it's a couple of things. I think the Rich Basicchia magic wears off, but also it can't be overlooked the amount of shit that the Raiders have had to deal with this season. All I'll say is that if you're a fan of a team in the AFC, watching that game on Sunday night scares you because you're like, oh shit, man. Did they, did they, did they put it all together? Did they, are they back? Is this the team that's given me headaches for the last three years? Well, it might be, but they also didn't look, perfect right they looked more like they used to but the deep ball is still not there and i think Mm -hmm. if they if they can connect on that because that's been the thing because i think too like kansas city's so good at pushing the ball deep so and had been for so long that all of a sudden once they look human it's like the scene in predator right arnold sorcerer if it bleeds we can kill it kansas city showed that they could bleed they showed that their offense wasn't impervious and now teams are looking at them like they come in with an extra bout of confidence. Like, all right, we're just going to take off the back half. We're, we can win this game. Yeah. And you saw that through the first four weeks when it was like Kansas City still looked really good. Kansas City still looked good in the first few weeks. It was just that stretch on from like week four basically till it's last Chargers, night. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. they just hadn't looked the same. Yeah. And so, and again, it only takes one or two of those deep balls for for a team or a defense to be like, okay, now we got to honor it. And then everything kind of opens up a little bit for you. Um, but I was impressed the way that, that Mahomes kind of uh, figured that out rather than trying to force it as he's been doing. Um, and was like, okay, Daryl Williams can catch the ball out of the backfield. Why the hell aren't we doing this more? Uh, and so uh, you, you see Williams has nine catches for 101 out of the backfield. Like that's including a big touchdown. I think it was like a 38 yard touchdown. Yeah, um, like a good chunk of that was on that that deep, which was also classic. Yeah, 100, 101 yards, but yeah. But it was like the classic Mahomes, like I'm just gonna throw it up kind of magic that we hadn't we just hadn't seen that in a little while. Mm-hmm. We just hadn't seen that. Yeah. But tra- tra- Travis Kelsey, eight catches for 120 yards. That's huge for them. Getting Travis Kelsey to look back like he was, that's huge for them. Uh, and then yeah, Tyree Kill, seven catches, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, it was nice to see. It was nice to see them look like Kansas City again. Because look, as a fan of football, I like when Kansas City looks good. They were Kansas City reminds me so much of the Warriors. Like when the Warriors were good and the rest of the world was getting sick of it, I was like, "Feed me more of this. I want to keep watching Golden State look this good." Yeah, me too. You know? Like because it was so special, and and as a sports fan, like you try to appreciate that stuff and seeing what Kansas City's done over the last few years. Like it was, it's just so much fun to watch. 
you know, as a, someone who doesn't necessarily have a dog in the fight. Now, if the Eagles are playing Kansas City, like, obviously, I don't want to see them do that. But when you're just watching football, like, you just want to tip your cap and be like, man, Kansas City, like Patrick Mahomes, he's special. 400 yards, five touchdowns last night. And uh, they're hopeful that they're going to get Clyde edwards Lair back next week, which, you know, I know he's been underwhelming for a guy they drafted in the first round. Once again, don't draft quarterbacks it's in the first round. But Running backs. Running backs, sorry. Definitely draft quarterbacks in the first round. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. It's like kind of 50-50, honestly. So, But, yeah, it was cool to see. And, and look, Vegas, that was a huge opportunity for them. And – yeah, they just had nothing. They just had nothing. That was Kansas City from from jump. All right. Uh, before we take a break, I asked you this last week. Who's the MVP? Ten weeks in, who's the MVP? I'm still. I'm gonna stick with Tom Brady. Um, only because he didn't even get the ball in his hand. It, it would be a different story if he had the ball on a, on a couple of those late drives and didn't uh, convert against Washington. But he didn't even get the ball in his hand. So. I'm going to stick with uh, with Brady at the moment. I might feel differently after what we see tonight because of Stafford, if they have a big bounce back win, right? I think Stafford's in the conversation. It's wild that Derrick Henry's missed now, what, two games? And he's still the leading rusher in the NFL. He's he and Derek, uh, No more. I think it's, it's three or four that he's missed. He was weak. No, it's just been two. Because last week oh, was wow. the first one was like against the Rams. <laughs> um, he and Jonathan Taylor are tied with 937 rushing yards. Which is wow. which is incredible. <laughs> um, I don't know who the MVP is. I I really don't. I, I this might this might. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, Lamar played himself out of it because that's what now. I was thinking. Like before it's the game, the... before the game on Thursday night, I was like, I think Lamar might be the MVP. And then all right, yeah. well then you see that, and no, no, he's actually not. Um, Mac Jones. Mac Jones, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I best look. player on the best team right now. Yeah, I mean I Mahomes is leading the league in passing, but I don't think it can be Mahomes. Tom Brady's second with twenty eight hundred yards. I mean Brady's there, but if there, the thing is too is like it's a regular season award, right? So Tom Brady's still my favorite to to go off and like make a run in the playoffs. Him and Aaron Rodgers both, but. If they, lo- if they lose any more games, if they kind of stumble down the stretch a little bit, I think it'll be tough to pick Brady. Um, Rodgers misses the game because of COVID, but comes right back, and then they win that game. And they won the game when he was out. And I think by the time the season ends, people aren't going to talk about it. But if you're, if you're picking right now, I know it was a dud against Tennessee, but I think I'm still going to pick Matthew Stafford. Because by the end of tonight, you know, Stafford could easily – Stafford could be over 3,000 yards after tonight. He's at 2,700. He's at 2,771 yards right now. So a 240-yard night for Matthew Stafford. He's over 3,000, which would put him in first place. I'm going st- to say Matthew Stafford. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's going to be a really interesting debate down the rest of the way. All right, we'll take a quick break, come back, talk a little bit college football, and uh, we'll get you guys off here for your week. Another weekend of college football has come and gone. Only have two weeks of the regular season left in college football, which is so depressing. Uh, and I don't love that because then, like, what am I going to do on Saturdays? It's not warm anymore. It's depressing. Um, not a whole lot happened, right? The, the top seven all won. The one upset that we did have was Baylor 
beating Oklahoma. Caleb Williams gets benched for Spencer Rattler. I don't know what's going on in Norman, but I, I tell you what, I mean, I had been saying this all season long that this stretch down, yes. this, this stretch down, <laughs> down the way between Baylor at Baylor. Now they get home against Iowa state next week and then at Oklahoma state. And then even if they get through all of that without dropping another game, they would have to play another, the other one in the big 12 championship. Baylor's a good football team. Their hopes are still alive. Uh, they need the, in a perfect world for Baylor, they would need Oklahoma to lose to Iowa state next week. And then they would have two losses, then have Oklahoma beat Oklahoma state in Bedlam. And then there would be a three-way tie for the, whoever, you know, for the two teams. And that's why Baylor kicked the, the last second field goal. And they had to take all the fans who would rush on the field and like send them back to kick that thing. Because one of the tiebreakers is your point differential in conference. I think it's like the second point differential, which Lincoln Riley got on a soapbox about and cried about, even though he did the same thing against Baylor two years ago when he was up 30 points, but I digress. Uh, Other than that, most of your, you know, top 25, there wasn't a whole lot of movement. Um, Ole Miss beats Texas A&M. That was a huge win for uh, the Rebels and for Lane Kiffin. Eight and two Ole Miss right now. They're a damn good football team. Wake Forest squeaks by. Uh, They win by three against NC State. And you had Mississippi State pulling off the upset against Auburn, but Bo Nix got knocked out of that game. So not overly shocking. Uh, And other than that, the rest of your top 25 basically looks the exact same. We have some pretty interesting games this week. We also have some very uh, not interesting games coming up. But what I asked you to do here, Scotty, and this is what we'll do to wrap up the pod today. We did this right before the first college football playoff ranking, but I was wanted to ask you, who do you think the top six are going to be tomorrow night when the committee unveils them? Sure. So you run, you run um, through yours, and then I'll run through mine. Yep, I think the top two remain unchanged, uh, Georgia and Alabama, um, just because of the resume. And, and I, I mean, Alabama doesn't look very good, but uh, especially defensively, but I still think they're the top two in the country. Uh, I have Ohio State at number three. Ooh. I have Oregon at, at four. I have Michigan State at five and Cincinnati at six. So you think they're going to reverse what they did with Michigan and Michigan State from last week? Yeah, I think so. Why is, Why do you say that? Uh, because Michigan beat um, an unranked uh, Penn State team on the road. Uh, that's, you know, to the committee, that doesn't mean anything. I think uh, there was a mistake for them to even leapfrog Michigan over Michigan State uh, in the first place. And I think that they uh, – they're just a, a, a better a better team to me, right? And they have the head-to-head. So uh, I think they make it right, uh, and this is a spot to do it with uh, with a closer than uh, than what you should have had game if you're Michigan uh, in Happy Valley. So um, I'll, I'll jump them back over Michigan into the, into the uh, five spot. I think I had them, right? Yeah, Michigan State at five. And then I drop Cincinnati to so Michigan. So Michigan. So Michigan beats Penn State, but somehow drops to number seven. Yeah, yeah. This isn't revenge at all. This is uh, the committee understanding that uh, that they made the wrong call 
by putting Michigan ahead of Michigan State despite the head-to-head, and they're valuing the head-to-head in in everywhere else in the top four. Uh, and but Michigan, you just but you just switched Oregon and Ohio State. Uh yeah, uh, it's because uh, Oregon only won by uh, uh, two touchdowns. Yeah, and uh, uh, Ohio State beat the absolute doors off of a Purdue team who's beaten two top five opponents. Okay, so there's a lot of flawed logic in a lot of what you're saying, but I understand where you're kind of coming from. There is not a world where Michigan State leapfrogs Michigan this week. I, I, I'm talking. I owe, you a, I owe you a steak dinner if that happens. There, there, is no, okay. there is no way in hell that happens. And I'll tell you what. The committee chair came out and said that beating Penn State in the committee's eyes is considered an, like a, a very high-quality win. Oh, interesting how we're not ranked then. Hmm. Imagine that. I mean, I, I, don't know to, I don't know what to tell you here, Scotty. Take the Penn State head off for like two seconds, please, for once. Okay. <laughs> Michigan State goes in and beats a Maryland team, and that would be enough to jump them from seven to five and leapfrog Cincinnati. That's not. Oh bad. yeah, since Cincinnati is uh, Cincinnati is uh, quickly losing my my trust. Uh, that game was closer than it should have been. Uh, I mean, not really. The final score is is closer than what than it was. They won by two touchdowns, and. There was, a, I mean, the, the third quarter of that game was 31 to seven Cincinnati, right? Like that, that, that game. Yeah. But, and I agree with you style points absolutely factor in with Cincinnati. And I also have them sliding down on my top six. Um, but the, or the, the Oregon and Ohio state thing that you said is actually really interesting. Cause I thought about doing that too. And what I have the committee doing, because the committee has been willing to already this year, disregard the head to head based off of a, you know, a win. And, the committee having moved Purdue up to 19 before that game. And then, yeah, Purdue getting blown out in Columbus. Like, I don't think anybody was shocked by that outcome. And I don't think the committee is going to be either. I think the committee rewarded Purdue for having two top five matchups or two top five wins. But I don't know if the committee is going to do it. Like if Oregon had won on a last second field goal against Washington state, then I would say, okay, like, yeah, may- maybe. And the first half was 14 to 14, but Oregon absolutely dominated Washington state for the rest of that game. Outscored them 24 to 10 for the remainder of that game. Anthony Brown had 123 yards on the ground as a quarterback. So I don't think it'll be enough, but I will say if that happens, I will not be surprised at all. So for mine, I have like you, Georgia, Alabama, one and two, I have Oregon staying at three, Ohio state at four. And then I have Michigan leapfrogging Cincinnati. Because the committee, I agree with you, it wasn't like the style points weren't there in that game against USF on Friday night. But the committee has openly said that they value the win over Penn State. They consider that as an incredibly high-quality win. So Michigan's not, not going to be demoted for beating Penn State in Happy Valley. The, the only thing, the worst that would happen is they stay put at six and the top six doesn't change at all. Michigan State, though I agree with you, the head-to-head should matter there, and I think it's bullshit that the committee, you know, did the switcheroo on them and dropped Michigan State down to seven. But Michigan State did lose to an unranked Purdue team at the time, and even though, yes, the two teams did play head-to-head, I at least understand the logic there. Michigan State beating Maryland by 19 versus Michigan going to Happy Valley against a good Penn State team that had been ranked as high as, what, number five in the country this year? 
Mm-hmm. There, there's no way that the committee would punish Michigan for that in a close win in one of the hardest places to play in college football. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny the way that they uh, they now value Penn State wins. Um, interesting. Uh, no, they've done I, it. I think... They've done it all season. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, I, I don't know. Literally, no, Scotty. They literally have done it all season. Stop with the Penn State shit. I get it. Your butt hurt because Penn State's not in the top twenty-five. Okay, they lost. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. You can't lose to Illinois and be ranked in the top fucking twenty-five. I'm sorry. All right, Purdue is in the top five, top twenty-five because they beat two top five teams. All right, and the team that Penn State just beat in the beginning of the year in Auburn just lost to Mississippi State. I don't that know what hurts. to tell you, Scotty. Okay, so just yeah. stop with the Penn State <laughs> butt hurtness. I get it; it sucks. Be an analyst. Come on. <laughs> I yeah, let no, you. I, I, so- how many weekends this year have I let you and Vito pontificate about Penn State over and over and over again? Okay. No, no. They had a uh, shitty break. It's okay. Let it be. Come on. Yeah. So. so- I love uh, you, but Jesus. I, I, I'm not surprised. Like Michigan, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they hit the hit the five spot, um, and even leapfrog Cincinnati, um, for that. Like you said, I I just think we're at a, a point in the year where there's two games left and a lot of big games left on the schedule. The committee's starting to weed out like who are forget this like the necessarily the head to head thing, although that comes into play, but also like. All right, who are the actual four best teams in the country yeah. that you see on the football field? And so we're starting to weed that out a little bit more and more. And that's why you, I think Cincinnati's going to drop, and you'll see Notre Dame drop with them, uh, despite uh, a couple of, of really dominant defensive performances. Uh, Notre Dame's got a shot to be in that top six, but I don't think they'll be there uh, because of of Cincinnati. Um, and I'm 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 getting a little tired of the rhetoric too about Cincinnati's big win being over Indiana. And at the time it was a big win, but like we are not valuing that anymore for Ohio state uh, who also played them. Right. So like, I, I don't, I don't understand uh, where that comparison comes into play. Uh, and the only, so that's the only place right now where that win is significant. I, in my opinion is in how you rank Cincinnati versus Michigan state. Right. Because yeah. both, both because yeah. Michigan state, beat Michigan at home after they were down 16 and had to come back. And it was a really close game. Again, all credit for Michigan state for doing that, but they were kind of getting their butts whooped for the better part of three quarters there. And Kenneth Walker did what he did and unbelievable talent. My personally, my Heisman up until right now, if I had to vote, that's who I would vote for. But Cincinnati went to Indiana on the road earlier in the season and beat them by two touchdowns. Michigan state almost lost to Indiana at home. And it ended up being a five-point game. I only know that because the spread was four and a half, and I remember I had taken Michigan State to cover. Uh, That's the only way I see that coming into play here. But, again, with Indiana being not really a great football team, as they've proven for the rest of this year, I do think you're right in that the committee will start to disregard that. I think, honestly, the, the two changes that are most likely in the top six right now, even though all teams in the top six and even top seven, if you include Michigan State, all of them won would be how much does the committee value beating Purdue at home by, you know, 28, which again, like huge win. CJ Stroud looked incredible. I test for Ohio State is jaw-dropping with how good they looked on Saturday. That's one of them. But the other one being uh, if Michigan's win over Penn State, which is a very good win, and the committee has acknowledged that all year, 
on the road is enough to leapfrog Cincinnati, who played on Friday night and despite winning by was what it was 14, right? Was it 14 or 10? I'm pulling it up here in front of me. Uh, no, sorry, they won by uh, 17. So if that's enough, um, despite that game getting closer at certain points, all the way down to a 10 point spread, if that game wasn't style pointy enough to keep them ranked ahead of Cincinnati, I can see the, the committee leapfrogging Michigan over Cincinnati for that win. I don't think they should, but I think those are the two things to keep an eye on. Does Ohio state leapfrog Oregon because they beat Purdue by so many and Oregon only won by two touchdowns. We're tied at halftime or at that. And then also the Cincinnati potentially move up or, Hey, maybe you were right all along, Scotty. And maybe Michigan state will leapfrog both and move up to number five. I don't think the win at Maryland is enough or sorry at, at home against Maryland is enough to say one way or the other to be like, Oh yeah, now we're going to move Michigan state. Cause like if you're the seventh ranked team in the country, you should win by 19 at home against Maryland. Like that, that's a win that you should have. What's hard to do is to go and go into happy Valley and beat Penn state anytime, but especially when we've seen Penn state be as good as they have been this year. And the committee respects them. They respect the defense and they, I think they also understand because when they're in here, they're debating the same shit we are, right? Like, all right, like, they may not rank Penn State over these other teams because of what the resume says, but what they see with their eyes validates the fact that, like, look, beating Penn State this year is a hard thing to do. And if it wasn't for Sean Clifford getting knocked out of the Iowa game and then being banged up for the Illinois game, we could be talking about Penn State as one of these teams. And I think the committee recognized that and respects that. Um, and you know this is, but as well as anybody, Scotty, winning in Happy Valley is really, really hard, even when they're on a down year. And this isn't even a down year for Penn State. It's been an unlucky year. The, the talent there, the defense in particular, is there. Uh, and I think the committee will will will, uh, will reward them for that. And all like you said too, all of this will be played out. We have huge games left. And if Michigan State knocks off Ohio State. All right, they already played. If Michigan State knocks no, off, that's next week. That's this next week. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. If Michigan State knocks off Ohio State and then beats Penn State, they'll be in the playoff. They'll be in the playoff. So if they're at seven versus six versus five, no matter where they are right now, Michigan Doesn't State matter. is is still going to have a shot at the playoff if they went out because they control their own destiny at this point. They Take control care of business. Exactly. That's that's all they got to do. That's all they got to do. All right, we'll see where that goes. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week. We'll be back on Friday to preview week 11 in the NFL, week 12 in college football. It's dwindling. It's dwindling. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while it's here. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know, get ready. There's, there's good games coming up this weekend. There's good games, and there'll be lots more to talk about. So for Scotty and Jeff, have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you all later. Take it easy, everybody.